how was uh, how was that vacation that you had? Hopefully everything worked out, right? Because last we had talked, you were kind of stressing out about things, getting things done, and being able to actually unplug, right? Oh yeah, it actually worked out okay. Uh, vacation was great, nice, relatively socially distanced vacation. You know, we did the best we could. We had a house to ourselves, so that was fine. And we were on the beach a bunch, and like everyone was really spread out and conscious of that, so that wasn't a problem. And uh, we were down on the Jersey Shore, so I just wore my mask the whole time I was at the boardwalk because, you know, it was a little, it wasn't crowded, but, you know, there's people around. And yeah, it was nice, though, to just sit out there and unplug a little bit. And I did join one little call from the beach, which was kind of funny because it's kind of like the, uh, I don't know, it's a stereotype that you always see, right? The guy working from the beach. Yeah. I think he's got a, he's got a margarita in one hand and he's, he's doing a work call on his earbuds or whatever. That was me for five minutes. And then I was done. That was it. <laughs> so uh, one time in, when I lived in Santa Cruz, uh, I was do, I had a freelance gig and they had these, well, it was more of like a retainer gig and I was really just tired of it. I've been doing it for a while. And uh, uh, so I was going surfing with some friends and I knew that I had like a status call that I had to be on. So I was standing on the beach in, in a wetsuit holding my surfboard on my phone <laughs> like... <laughs> Uh, like, you know, just, yep, everything's good. Yep. 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 You know, the, the, the typical status call. Yep. 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 Uh, and then I hung up and jumped in the water. It was awesome. That is amazing. Yeah. It's a dream, man. Now it was good though. And actually then the weekend at the end of that, we actually went camping and I didn't realize this, but the campsite is in rural part of Connecticut and there is no cell service. Zero. And so that was actually my true chance to unplug because we got there and we're like, well, I guess this is it. Like, there's nothing we can do. And that was that was funny because we were all just sitting around talking and, you know, just BSing around the campfire and someone has a question. We're like, oh, we can't Google that. Like, <laughs> what, yeah. what do you do? What, what did we do before Google? I guess just, I don't know, didn't know things. Yeah. What did we do? I guess I've always, even when I was younger, we had a computer, so we always sort of had access to something. I don't even, I don't know. It's hard to remember. I just remember being in school. I probably was too young to remember before that, but I remember being in school and teachers being like, you can't use Wikipedia as a reference uh, on your paper. It's not trustworthy. And all of us were like, but it's on the internet. But no, I'm glad uh, I'm glad that your vacation went well. That's great to hear. So what was like? Uh, what was life like when you got back? Were, you, were there lots of tickets, lots of things for you to do? Is it pretty busy, or did you just get back into things as normal? We're just in the middle of a big transition right now with the business, yeah, and transition in a hardware sense. Like we're literally swapping out gear at all of our stations right now because we're upgrading to a new, new type of radio. I think I've talked about this before, but we uh, just a few weeks ago we put in an order for fourteen of these radios. We spent like whatever 50 or 60,000 bucks on on 14 radios and now we're in the process of deploying those to all of our stations and I kind of left in them in the middle of that so it was kind of on hold but I came back and I've basically just been doing that all week is just supporting that cuz it's it's not just swapping the gear right there's all these other pieces of gear that are plugged into it there's configuration changes that need to happen we're also in the process of migrating all of our server hardware from mac minis to raspberry pis which i know seems backwards but the pi actually is way more performant than than mac minis at this point which is crazy so that's 
Yeah, it, it does sound backwards, but I think it checks out now because I think like I tend to want to hear Raspberry Pi, I think of like this little sort of Wi-Fi enabled device and not necessarily like a fully featured computer. But uh, back before I ended up getting the laptop that I have now, I remember talking to Paul uh, quite a bit about building mini computers, like getting those Raspberry Pis where you have a nice CPU and the GPU is integrated and you put it in this little tiny box, right? It's like your own sort of Mac mini. And yeah, it's just like this super powered Raspberry Pi that you can just slap stuff onto. It was kind of kind of compelling uh at that point but i just stuck with uh at what i thought was uh old trusty uh or old faithful mac os but yeah the new pi 4s i mean they've got four cores and eight gigs of ram and they're just powerhouse man you could do a lot with that i mean really i mean maybe like docker kind of chokes up a little bit if you're docker is and things with eight gigs of ram but Actually, no, we use Docker on it. So really? we have Ubiquity network gear at all of our stations. In order to remote in and, and manage that, you have to run this thing called a cloud key, which normally it's this little little dedicated embedded computer you buy from them. It's 100 bucks, and plug it into power and Ethernet, and it just that's how you remote in. But it's running just this like crappy Java server software or something. I don't know. It has MongoDB on it. Don't ask me how I know. <laughs> but you can also run that software for free in... And someone made a nice Docker container for it. So we run that on the Raspberry Pis now. And we have a backup of that. So we can get in there when, That's great. when MongoDB eventually corrupts the database because it powered off in the middle of a write. That's how I know. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool, though. And I, I feel like going to that, that route, I feel like you have way more options in terms of what you can do in the future with your hardware. I suppose, like, Mac Minis are great, but it's sort of a walled-off ecosystem, right? Yeah, exactly. And they're locking it down more for, you know, so they're not so useful for that. And we really allowed them back to my Mac for a long time to be able to get in and VNC in to manage the Macs. But back to my Mac is gone. I don't know if you noticed, but it's, they just deprecated it. So you can still get in there with screen sharing and set up an SSH tunnel and then VNC to localhost and get in there and do that. But that increasingly became a problem too, because screen sharing would be disabled by default on new Macs. And then sometimes the OS would just decide to upgrade itself. And so then you're just stuck with a Mac mini that you can't see because you can't turn on screen sharing without this, like, I think you need to be able to connect a monitor to it. It's a whole thing, man. Yeah, it sounds like a mess. <laughs> but, and just the cost too. I mean, Raspberry Pi with all the, all the gear enclosure and power supply and all the stuff, a eh, hundred bucks or whatever. So get a nice metal heat sink case. That's hard to argue with, I think, right? That price. Yeah, exactly. Mm. They're disposable at that point. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's cool, though. No, they've been great. I mean, we we tried to use them early on in the business, and they just weren't powerful enough. But now they run our Ruby server process, plus Electron doing WebRTC audio streaming, plus streaming all this like data to the client. And the thing just sits there at 25% CPU, you know, like just chugging away, no problem. That's awesome. Really awesome. So um, anyway... Short story long, we're in the process of upgrading all that stuff. We're almost done. we got, I think, five or six left. And these are on all corners of the globe, right? East Coast, West Coast, Maine, New York, Puerto Rico, Haiti, all these places. we got to ship all this gear and get someone to install it. It's real, uh, real-time sync. So do you have, like, a person in each location, or do you, do you have to actually travel to each location? Uh, yeah, it depends. Sometimes people live there. Sometimes... It's like a vacation home for someone or, you know, they have like their, uh, they don't live there full time. Some stations we have to travel to, you know, up in Maine, it's a 10 hour drive up to northern part of Maine to 
swap that stuff out. And then, uh, like, Hades on a mountaintop at, like, a cell site, so someone has to drive up there and manage that. It's a, it's a mixed bag, but in general, you can't really rely on anyone being there at any time. Right. Yeah, that sounds like a whole lot of work. It's frustrating because, you know, you want to be productive and push the business forward, and this really is, you know, a big leap for us. But it doesn't feel like you're right because you're just editing config files and talking to people on the phone, but it's not writing code, you know? It is going to be awesome, though. I can't wait to start deleting all that old code, though. That's going to be nice. Yeah, that's that's really cool, though. I'm I'm sure you guys will work through it all, and it'll be fine. Yep, yep. Still growing pains with the new new uh, hardware and software, but we're getting there one one bug at a time. But enough about me, Sean. We really buried the lead here. I think you have something to tell me, the DNC audience in the chat. Breaking news from the life of Sean Washbot. I don't know if it's breaking news because I've told a few people and I feel like most of them are here right now. But yeah, yeah, I uh, accepted a job offer uh, earlier this week. Hooray! Yeah, so uh, it's the same. Obviously, it's the job. I've been talking about the interviews over the last week or the last, actually, I guess, almost two months now, right? Uh, It's been a long process, but um, yeah, I accepted an offer. And so starting on the 31st, I will be an engineering lead at uh, MetaLab. Engineering lead. Awesome. What an awesome title. No pressure. It seems weird, but uh, yeah, I don't know. What, what's nice about it, though, is like I'm not the only engineering lead. <laughs> <laughs> We're co-leads. There's like, there's like a handful of people, so um, that's what's really nice about it. I mean, I, I, you know, I like my current job. Obviously, the new job uh, offer was good enough that it was, you know, it was good enough for me to leave what I've been familiar with for four years now what I've been working on for four years. So yeah, it's a good, you know, it's a good situation. Uh, like I was saying, there's a handful of engineering leads. Uh, so it, it does sound like an intimidating process to me or like a title for me, but I won't be alone. And that was some of the stuff we talked about on in the interviews actually was what is the culture like around helping and what is the culture like about learning and things like that. And so um, there's basically, you know, they have like dedicated time for, helping each other, like retrospectives, um, uh, learning. So they budget time in for learning and growth too. And I got into, they added me to their notion. So I've been digging around that. Of course they use notion. It's, it's gigantic. There's so much, there's like, they have more than a hundred employees. Uh, so it's a huge notion. And, uh, yeah, like it was cool to go through there and be able to see retrospectives, see, uh, schedules for learning and development and um, things like that. So, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about that that aspect of it. And I don't know if you mentioned the company name here. You're working for MetaLab, mm-hmm. which means that you'll be working with Paul or working at the same company as Paul for the third time now. <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> that's awesome. And my old boss James. So when I I've mentioned Octopus a lot over the podcast history. Uh, and so that was like the first professional programming job I really had besides freelancing. And we did consulting and my boss there, uh, his name was James. And so we all idolized MetaLab back in the day. Like MetaLab was putting out just ridiculous work and MetaLab as an agency, we looked up to them a lot because we were doing, we were the, we're an agency as well. Uh, so you sort of fast forward and then I find out that James um, is working there. And in fact, now he's a VP of design there. And then, you know, Paul eventually goes over there and yeah, they just, you know, sent me a little tip like, Hey, there's a position open. I think it could be a good fit. And that was that, like they weren't involved in the interview process or anything like that. Um, 
but they kind of tipped me off to a position that I thought I could be good at. It's not what you know, it's who you know, right? That's what they always say. It just just becomes more and more true, I think, the the further we get in our careers. Yeah, and what it's it's, it's going to be interesting because like the interviews are really good. Um, I've had some good interview experiences and I've had some not so great interview experiences. And Meta Labs interview experience was great. It was really awesome. They took a lot of the pressure off me. It was very friendly and approachable. And I thought the actual process was really well done, you know? So I started off with obviously the meeting with the recruiter. They just kind of sussed me out and all that. Um, then I went to like, I met some of the, some members of the engineering team and um, I got a code uh, exercise. So I had to build a thing and send it to them and invite a couple people to GitHub like to collaborate on it. Uh, and the next interview was uh, pair programming. One pretended to be a junior and one was a senior. And so uh, we took a couple of features that I thought about at, in my post-project retrospective and we implemented those features. And that was the second interview, which was really nice. And, and then we went through another interview where uh, it was more back-end focused. So I basically was asked to, uh, with an ERD diagram, uh, design how I think Slack should be built um, from a large, like zoomed out point of view. So like on one side, database tables, what it might look like from the other side, like, you know, uh, how do like the web and the API c communicate to each other? What does data storage look like? Um, you know, so I think that was a good kind of like zoom into database, zoom out to like big moving pieces of infrastructure, you know, talking about, especially thinking about a chat application, thinking about, okay, well, at some point you're going to outgrow just being able to throw chat messages into a database directly, right? At some point you're going to have to use some eventing system or some sort of queue system. Uh, and so we talked a lot about that. Um, yeah. And so then they chatted about it a little bit more and, and then uh, got the offer. Now, what struck me in hindsight about this interview process was uh, the previous job you applied for, I was constantly hearing from you about it because it was very technical and there were a lot of rounds and it just seemed very intensive and you were kind of being grilled, like you're under the, the spotlight here. Whereas this seemed a lot more, at least from my, from the way I viewed it, like you seemed a lot more relaxed about it. You're just kind of, oh, I'm just going to go in and talk with them about this and tell, show them what I know. And you weren't really stressing out about it nearly as much. Uh, yeah, I think the other one was that uh, it was my first interview in a very, very long time, like four years plus probably, and actually. Uh, and it, a lot of it was Go, which I had almost zero experience in. So the thing that I shipped for my code test for them was literally the first Go thing I ever shipped in my life. Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, the second round was a little bit easier because I was already in that frame of mind. Um, the code project that I worked on was React-based, which I've talked about already, but I'm already familiar with JavaScript. I feel comfortable with JavaScript. So it was more, it felt more, it felt more approachable and less intimidating to me. And then the ERD stuff, what's funny is that that morning or the night before in that morning, I had just like was brushing up my ERD diagramming, basically like mapping out like database tables, right. Um, and how the data flow might be modeled in and, and, uh, be joined together in database. Uh, so I was like, oh, I should probably just like try Slack. That's probably like a ubiquitous, like a you know, common one. Right. And then I get to the interview and they're like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to have you do the Slack one. I was like, okay, well I just did that. You know? So Slack is the new, uh, blog demo project. Right. Yeah. So it was, um, familiar on all, I think on those levels. Also, I think what helped was that with Meta Lab, it was stretched out over the course of a couple of months. Whereas with the other company, it was like two and a half weeks, five interviews. 
so it was really quick. The pacing was really quickly or moving really quickly. So what's also going to be, um, fun is, is that, you know, learning what sort of, well, I guess for people that don't know, MetaLab is a consulting agency, right? And so we, we have clients and we build MVP applications. We, we read tool front ends for existing applications. Um, so MetaLab is like, like a UX, like a UX consulting agency. They're really good at UX. They have that nailed down. And so you come to them to have them fix your stuff, uh, have us redo your stuff or build it from scratch. And so by, by that nature, MetaLab gets more front end or like, you know, mid to front end, right, um, work than back end work. Um, so, you know, things that they standardize on are, would be like React, for example. That's something they use quite a bit because, you know, they work with a lot of startups. Startups love React. So that, that's what they use. You know, they want to use things that the client would be able to support after the project. I've also heard that TypeScript is getting adopted more and more there as well. So, you know, that's something that I'm going to have to dig in more. And also for backend stuff, if they do get a Greenfield project, they tend to prefer Rails just because it's, again, it's a known thing. Uh, and the the circles that MetaLab operates in Rails is sort of a, you know, just like a sure bet or like a safe bet kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's a no, that's a no brainer, honestly. Yeah, Rails and also Node. There's a lot of Node that happens too. So... Um, you know, obviously, lately I've been coming from Elixir and PHP, and then like swerving to the other side of like. So now I'm like digging into, or we'll be digging into JavaScript and and Ruby. But that's that's fine. Everyone has their price. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but really, uh, that's really exciting. We're gonna have lots of new content for the show, which is awesome. Yeah, I'm a JavaScript developer now, or something like that. But uh, I'm I'm honestly looking forward to it. You know, um, I. I like more, more than anything, I've been wanting to work with more teams. Um, that's, that's been the thing that I've been talking about for a long time now is like desiring to work with groups of people beyond just two or three, you know? And so I'll definitely be getting that here. So I guess like my position is engineering lead, uh, I'll be doing my fair share of programming and actual like implementation work, but I'll also be doing a lot of, you know, taking the plans from the architect, like the software architect side of things and divvying that up into units of work and then either working on the implementation myself or directing a team of four to five devs working with me to get that unit of work done as well. So it'll be a good mixture of planning, communicating, and actually coding. Now you've worked at a consultancy before and the pace I imagine is going to be pretty different because, you know, instead of, as opposed to working on one or two products for a long period, right, where there's the deadlines or maybe individual features, here you're going to have like projects and chunks of time to bang it out. You're going to have more, I don't know, a lot more churn in your, in what you're actually working on. Yep. So when I originally worked on or worked at a consulting agency, we didn't start out doing apps that took, you know, six months to a year. We started out churning out projects every few weeks. And I think that was, that was too much entropy. And and so I think like, depending on what the project is, you know, timelines could be anywhere from six months to a year to a year and a half sometimes uh, on these larger projects. So there's going to be some turnover, but it's not going to be like it used to be, or like my previous experience where it was like a few weeks at a time. Or, I mean, once or a couple of times I had to build a Rails app in four months from like concept to shipping this MVP out the door, which was insane. <laughs> so yeah, I, it is going to be interesting. You know, obviously I did have some change up because I worked on DK for three years and then side door for, I don't know how many months now. So 
I don't think it's going to be as shocking because I just did have like a turnover or turnaround with the side door uh, ecosystem switch and, and stuff. So we're recording on Thursday the 20th. When's, uh, when's D-Day for you? You get any time off in between or what? You've uh, earned, a, earned a break, I think. I'm working a half week next week um, to be around. So, so obviously my boss is known for months. Uh, the rest of the team knows. And so my boss and I have worked on an exit plan, exit strategy. And, um, you know, I've worked on, so the entire dev team actually, uh, uses Basecamp, and that's been, so I, you know, I, I love notion and we use together at, at DK and side door, we use Slack and notion a lot, but the dev team specifically we moved over to Basecamp, And I think like just the amount of rules that they have or like the way it's structured and the, the information density that they give you, I can wake up on any given day and I can know exactly everything that's happened on side door on the dev team side inside of 15 minutes. And I could have responded to everything inside of 45 minutes, which I think before like going back and forth between Notion and Slack, because something's happened here, something's happened there, digging through things, it just took a long time. And now it is sort of like unified into one platform for the dev team. It seems to be working really well. Plus they're also really familiar with Basecamp as well. So it's not totally Notion's fault, I don't think, but um, you know, Sometimes rules are good and the rules have been helping us out. So being able to just pipe like, what did you do today into an email from my boss? And then she gets a, like, and at the end of the day, she gets it, what everyone on the engineering team did that day. And like, so I fixed this bug, I shipped this feature. I, you know what I mean? Like it almost removes a lot of my communication from the flow anyway. And I'm going to be consulting occasionally to, you know, help them on the roadmap, keep, you know, keep things going in the right direction. So I'm not going to disappear from them altogether. Um, and if there's, you know, a bug on DK or whatever, I can contract on the weekends to fix it or something like that too. But, um, yeah, every, everything's should be going smoothly. So I'm, you know, I'm testing out like a uh, half week next week, maybe less, you know, depending on who needs what. But I realized that I spend a lot of my time being people's shortcuts, uh, and what I mean by that is someone might not understand how to do something in intercom or someone might not understand how to do something in another tool or, or whatever. And so instead of defaulting to looking up help videos or documentation, because intercom has excellent documentation, they default to sending me a message in Slack. And so I spend a lot of my time stopping what I was doing before and trying to help them like learn. So whether that's me saying, oh, go here and search for that, or me actually going and finding the article and pasting it, or I literally have a document in our notion that is just links to common things they need to see in the intercom documentation. You know, I realized that I spend a lot of my time doing things like that, which especially as early as a stage of a company, a side door is like, you can pay me, you can pay me a salary and I can sit there and answer those all day long, but that's a waste of money. So I think like next week's going to be a good test of uh, can we revert the just send a Slack message behavior to can I inform myself kind of behavior? Yeah, that's a really hard lesson to instill in people. I mean, you, you basically just described yourself doing tech support is really what it comes down to. Yep. It's the, it's you're at you're at uh you're at Thanksgiving and your your aunt asks you like I can't get my emails on my phone. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, um, you know, next week I'll have my notifications snoozed and I'll check in at intervals and relax a little bit, hopefully. And, um, I've already started digging into TypeScript and some JavaScript stuff and, uh, you know, I hopefully ease into things on the metal lab side. Take a little bit of a break, man. 
go evacuate your home because of a pending fire. I, I mean, know. it could happen. <laughs> we have stuff ready. We have a we have a container full of you know stuff that we would need in case we could just drop to the car if we got to go. But so a friend of the show, Thomas, bought me this this book. I'm trying to you know read it quickly. Um, the book is entitled uh, Systems of Engineering Management, and I believe he talked about it last week on his on his episode. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he told me he was going to get it for me and then a book showed up or a box showed up in my door and I was confused. I was like, I didn't order anything. And it was the book. So thanks Thomas for that book. But, um, the book was authored by, uh, somebody from Stripe and, uh, basically it's just like, here's what I learned through my various jobs at Uber and Stripe and wherever else he worked. And here are basically like, here's a common problem. Here's a common framework you can apply to help solve that problem. And it's all around like sizing engineering teams, scoping work, scoping timeframes, um, things like that. Sort of the soft skill side of, of, uh, development and management. Does it approach it from, a like an engineering kind of perspective, you know, cause some management books can be kind of businessy sounding. I could picture a book that sort of takes, puts management in sort of engineering terms, kind of like that book, like cooking for nerds or whatever, cooking for geeks. No, it's really, it's really well-written. It doesn't. So I've read books before, like they're, I don't want to just drag the name of the book. I won't say the name of the book, but uh, I've been asked to like read certain books by bosses in the past and I'll read the book and I'm like, wow, this is just rose colored glasses. Like sky's the limit. You can do anything. Uh, think positively and you can like your business will flourish. I'm like that doesn't help me in any, any way, shape or form. Or there's other books like, um, oh, just you have to think creatively and you have to you like, you have to be creative enough to be outside of the box enough and then your business will flourish. It's like, okay, well, how do I do that? By the second book to find out. <laughs> yeah, this book doesn't strike me as a book that this book is like actionable information gained from experience, not like not um platitudes isn't the right word, but that style of like these catchphrases that you can say that feel motivational but have no substance. But that's what I'm gonna plan plan on doing next week. I'm gonna be playing some Valorant because I'm stuck at it and now I, I get madness so I wanna be better, so I play it more. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, so in terms of like digging deeper into JavaScript and TypeScript, uh, I heard Adam Wayden from Tailwind, uh, talk about, um, he's actually been learning TypeScript recently and he tweeted that this, this, uh, site or I guess tool called execute program has been like one of the, the best approaches he's ever come across in terms of like learning something and retaining that information, specifically retaining the information. So, you know, like I've tried CodeCamp and, and, or Cookademy and I'll just like blast through a ton of lessons, right? I'll be like, oh, I completed all these lessons and I'll forget it all. I won't remember any of it, you know, or I'll watch a bunch of videos and I won't remember any of it. So execute program is based off of this idea of spaced repetition, which I'll put in, in the show notes. Uh, but spaced repetition basically is like about finding that balance, right? So you can't just blast through material and try to remember it all nor can you try to review everything that you tried to learn at the same time and try to remember it all. You have to break it off into manageable chunks and then repeat it over time. And, and then that's how information sticks. So what's interesting about this is that you get into a lesson, you start a lesson and you do two or three of the lessons or you do two, three, two or three of the exercises that walk you through. And then it locks everything. It says, come back tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll open these review lessons. <laughs> it just kicks you out. Yeah, so you can't go you can't go any farther. And then you log on the next day and it asks you review it asks you review questions specifically about the material that you studied the day previous to it. And then if you get those all right, 
then you can go on to the next lessons. So it forces you to wait. Uh, because like I was the first night I was working through it, I was like, all right, I'm gonna blast through these 60 lessons on TypeScript, you know? And I blasted through two and I couldn't go any farther and I had to wait. And the next morning I got up. So it's becoming a morning routine because you have to time it. They make you wait like a day. So if I do them on the morning, the next morning I have more lessons available. If I remember the material well enough. It's like, it's like doing your dailies in an MMO, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Um, so it's been, it's been working for me. I feel like I'm actually like retaining the information. Um, I'm not spending hours and hours doing it. I'm spending like, you know, 20 minutes at a time doing it, which is, which is great. And you can go back and repeat lessons if you need to. So I would, I would highly recommend it. This is really, really cool. This is such a cool concept and it looks like it's cool because it adapts to your learning style and pace. The repetition is nice. I mean, you know what it reminds me most of is this is how you learn Morse code. Really? Like I, I've yeah. So I've tried uh, this multiple times, and I still haven't stuck with it long enough to to get good at it. But it's the same thing. They you they play uh, a character like the letter E, and you just type E. You know, beep E, beep E. And once you get E enough times, then they'll add like the letter I, which is two dits. Beep beep I, beep E. Right, mm-hmm. and then. As you keep getting the letters correct, it starts adding more and more letters and maybe like increasing the the speed, you know, decreasing the space between the letters. And as you keep failing letters, uh, it just plays them more and more often and, and, you know, it slows your progression until you are able to, you know, copy those individual letters. And then it keeps adding more and more to the mix. So that's, it's kind of, that's this distilled down to its most basic form. But I could see this working. I mean, I, I was looking at a discussion on Reddit today about, some guy was discouraged because he's like, why did I go to college and get a four-year degree in computer science when I just do a code boot camp in four months and come out with the same knowledge? And like, it's, it's not the same. Yeah, it's an accelerated course, but the retention of, of the information is just not there. Yeah, I, I really am enjoying this program so far. You know, I wish they had more, but I haven't exhausted what they have, you know, so I really shouldn't complain about that. Uh, but it's, it's, it's nice. I can sit down with a coffee. I can do it on my iPad. I don't have to be on my computer to do it. I can sit down, have a coffee, work through some things, work through some review, um, really internalize information and then go about my day. Because again, I try to like do too much at once, try to do too many lessons at once. And then I end up forgetting stuff and getting discouraged, but this seems to, to really work. And so they have, you know, they have several different JavaScript courses. They have modern, modern JS, they have, which obviously talks about like ES 2015 and, and on um, some of the new features, why they exist, how they work, uh, bugs they fix. So what was really cool was it was talking about, um, you know, iterating over over enumerables, basically. And it talked about 4in. 4in has some interesting issues. And so the new one is 4of, right? So 4of fixes those issues. For example, in JavaScript, you can create an array uh, and populate the only thing like say create something at index three and indexes you know one and two or really zero or one well they won't have anything no they won't have null they won't have undefined it's just nothing there's nothing there uh so that can cause some interesting bugs and so if you're using four of it it'll you it'll replace those with undefined for example um so you know i would i feel like i would have never learned that or i don't know even know that that's really an important piece of information but it could be you know, I feel like down the road you can run into something and you'd be like, oh, I learned somewhere once that there's this obscure bug, you know. So I appreciated that they go through a lot of this really, uh, you know, in-depth, like, here's why this new thing exists, but also 
uh, or, or here's a new thing that exists, but also here's why it exists. Um, but yes, yeah, so the rest of the programs they have are there's JavaScript concurrency where they talk about the difference of concurrency and parallelism and, and how that works in JavaScript. Um, there's SQL. They actually use SQLite for this, but you can learn the basics of SQL through there. Regular expressions are there, which is really interesting to me as well. Um, and then they have like JavaScript arrays too, which teach you the ins and outs of like slice, filter, map, reduce, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, that's going to be my life, I guess. This is cool. It makes me wonder what else I can apply space repetition to. Yeah. I mean, I've probably mentioned this before, but when I learn new things, I like just getting a book. You know, I just, I'll just buy the intro programming book. I've got the Rust book here. I've got, um, well, Python, I just read the docs, but like just reading a, a chapter or two at a time and just like putting it down. And that kind of works too, or or going back and reread a chapter or a few pages when you pick it up again. That's kind of the old school way of doing it, right? Yeah, I've never done that. I've just tried to read the whole thing. So, just don't try to read it before bed because you're just gonna you're gonna get that, that Pavlovian association, and it's just gonna put you to sleep, and you're not gonna retain anything. That might actually explain a lot. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Definitely, I'm looking forward to the change. I've never heard of this term spaced repetition before. I wonder if it's applicable to other other uh i don't know skill sets i mean it was definitely something i experienced when i was learning to fly an airplane you know like again they have accelerated courses for that where you can go for two weeks to some place that's guaranteed to have nice weather and you can bang out all your hours and and legally get your license doing it over nine months and flying under different weather conditions and having time to rest and retain and practice and learn and study at the same time as you're learning to fly like Again, it just comes out to that same, that same pattern. Like I feel like also the older we get, I've noticed this more and more. But it's just generally getting hard to learn and retain things. You know, I don't quite absorb things as quickly as I used to. Maybe, you know, when I was a teenager or something, and just just picking up new languages and stuff. Obviously, I have the experience now, but just lacking the, I don't know, gray matter to to retain it as quickly as I used to. I can identify with that too. I think. But yeah, I'm going to, now that there's like some, I know what to call that. It's something I can think about and apply. I mean, thinking about music and practicing guitar, that was all that was too. You break a big piece of music into small chunks and then you internalize them that way. And then you keep adding on to it. So I don't know why I've always approached like programming concepts or reading those kind of books that way, or, you know, ingesting too much of information at one time, but I'm really enjoying the execute program, like the way they present it. And how they force you, like I said, they lock the courses out so you can't go ahead. Uh, it's 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 nice. So, you know, I think it'll I think it'll I think it'll it'll stick. Especially TypeScript. That's been really interesting to me for a while. Even though it's you know it still is JavaScript under the hood. It like compiles to JavaScript, obviously, and and stuff. So it's not like I keep saying like I've been wanting to do more typed language stuff, but uh, I guess it's closer in that direction. Yeah, we could have the typed, untyped, <laughs> strongly, weakly, dynamically, yeah. statically typed argument all day. Well, I mean, I, I I was talking to Greg earlier this week, and I was kind of saying how I think I'll kind of miss the Laravel ecosystem or Laravel itself because it is just really nice to work with. And I have some side projects using Laravel, and I don't think I'm going to stop using it. But in thinking about going back to Legoland that is NPM or most most like <laughs> node approaches, right? Uh yeah, I, I, I like every time I think about that, I look back fondly and fondly think of um, Laravel. So, I was I was trying to think about think about my the last four years, like my time at DK Inside Door, 
and trying to think about everything that I've learned, things that I've done wrong, things that I think I did right over that, that period of time. And, and, you know, like when talking with, with Lindsay, like when I said, you know, I, I formally got the offer, um, cause that obviously changed things a little bit, right. When it was theoretical to when it was like, oh, it's actually here. And we were sort of talking about like what we thought we got right and what we thought we could improve upon and things like that. And then I was looking at side door and side door is already like much more stable than DK almost ever was because of the lessons we learned through that. It, it's such, I don't know. It's hard for me to try to condense four years of working on the same thing into take like takeaways, right? Like what are small things I can take away from, from my time there? But, you know, I feel like one big takeaway from it is like, it's almost never about the technology specifically. And there are, you know, maybe, you know, there may be exceptions to that rule, but like, depending on like your personal knowledge, how many engineers you have and how much time you have to like learn something new, if you're just starting with it versus something you're comfortable with. Right. But I think very, I think early on in my career, especially early on in being CTR or whatever, it tech, the technology side of things was sort of a known thing to me. And so it was comfortable. And so it was comfortable for me to focus on. And the business side of things was the opposite. So I would focus less on that. And if I could go back and change something, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I would change is sort of force myself to let go of the the technical side a little bit more and focus more in on the business side of things. And, and, um, I, uh, it's, it was hard for me to like come to that realization, I guess, but I think that's honestly the biggest takeaway I have from the last four years was really realizing like in the moment you're busy and there's a lot of stuff going on and you like, if you have to solve, like put out fires, tech is the way that you put those fires out. Cause that's how you know how to handle them. But I wish that I would have maybe zoomed back or pulled back more and looked at the bigger picture more. And instead of opting to put fires out here, opting to put fires out elsewhere, because more often than not, uh, technology can get you closer to solving the issue, but it doesn't solve the root, the root problem. I don't think that's necessarily a fault with the way you handled things, because that's where you were needed early on. I mean, you were handled a broken rails application that didn't function and <laughs> yeah. you had to, you had to build something out of that. Like, of course you're going to be focused on the day to day and the technical challenges. Uh, that's what you were hired for. That's what they needed you for. And as you were there over four years, your role changed and evolved and your focus changed and the team grew and yeah, naturally you're going to sort of program yourself out of that job. And that's kind of what happened. And I think you know, it's been awesome hearing and talking to you about all the technical things that you've learned, you know, obviously picking up Elixir and Phoenix and and just all the database stuff and front end and back end and optimization and, and deployment, like just everything, right? Like you took this like infancy of an application and made it into a real business, which is just, it's just so, so cool. I mean, don't discount that because that's really a thing that happened and you can, you can, you were the driving force behind that. So that's, that's nothing to sneeze at. And it prepared you for this role too. <laughs> your, your, your new role as, a, as an engineering lead. Like, yeah, you're going to be doing a lot of coding, but I assume engineering lead also has a sort of, has management role in, implied in there as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't mean any of that in like a, a negative light toward myself. It's just interesting to think about that approach. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I'm coming from the opposite direction where I, we built remote ham radio because we were very knowledgeable in this, the space, right? Uh, I was knowledgeable from the technical end and from the business end. Like we knew what the product was going to be and what the customers were going to be, you know, like 
having that intrinsic knowledge definitely does give you a competitive advantage because you don't have to, there's not a disconnect there, right? You don't have to sort of consult with someone of when you're making the small day-to-day decisions and also the big overarching systematic decisions about the the course of the product, mm-hmm. right? And maybe you didn't have that luxury, but I mean, you know, as you learn more about the the business and everything, then you you could do that. You could make those decisions and, you know, inform, sort of push back and inform like, okay, we should do this. We can't do that. We don't have time, et cetera, right? Well, I think, I think, uh, I think, I think really like the other, another thing I, I kind of take away from it is like busy is, is the en- is like an enemy of, of actually getting things done and an enemy of quality and enemy of focus and concentration. Right. And busy. So, so what I mean by that is, yeah, like you can be busy and having lots of things to do. Um, but you can you can be busy just for the sake of being busy or feeling busy, right? So you talk to someone, like say, "How are you doing?" They might say, "Oh, I'm I'm really busy." It's like, what what does that mean? Or do you mean like you're overwhelmed right now? Do you mean like you're you have too much too many things going on that you can't focus on? Uh, which thing like prioritize things, right? So I think like when I mean busy, I mean like this thing that sort of like blinds you from being able to see through this idea of being busy. Once you can see through that, you can prioritize things, right? You can break things up. You can attack things uh, in a way that'll help you get things done. But sometimes it's hard to see through this canvas that can become like, you just think like, oh, I have a lot going on. I'm really busy, right? And that sort of becomes this this shield to to actually breaking that down. Uh, and that happens to me a lot, I feel like. I felt like, oh, there's too much going on. And I would always just think about how there's too much going on and not really like, be like, okay, there's too much going on. What can I drop? What can I prioritize? What can I, you know what I mean? Um, so I think that was a big lesson that I, I sort of worked through as well was how to like push past this idea of being busy and get to like finishing stuff. So I'm not as busy. <laughs> well, yeah, on the flip side of that, it's okay to be not busy or not feel like you're busy, yeah. right? If you're just spending a day answering support tickets, writing documentation on intercom, like that doesn't feel like a productive day but sure does help. Yep. It's definitely, you know, pushing things forward not, and arguably can be more valuable than writing code. Yeah. So I didn't spend a lot, of, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it because I've been busy <laughs> lately, but those are two, like, I think the main things that were sort of like initially apparent to me, things that I had been thinking about, things I discussed with Lindsay a little bit on, on exiting. So I guess that's about as much of a retrospective as I have so far. Just think how busy you're going to be. Who knows? Who can? Yeah, who knows? Paul seems to be pretty busy, and so does James. So, but the thing is, I think the thing that I'm looking forward to the most, to be completely honest, is this this notion of being on call all the time. So, like when I first started, for the first couple of years I worked at DK, I carried a laptop and a backpack around with me everywhere I went. Yep, I still do it. Is always with me, and that really started to wear me down over time. I think. And so there's this idea now, I mean, it could maybe not be true, but there's this idea that there, you know, I'll be on a team. So it's not just my responsibility anymore. It's shared across the team. Hopefully, you know, that's how things work in practice as well. But that, I think that's like one of the things I'm looking forward to the most is more shoulders, maybe. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, as a consultancy, I feel like you're probably more likely to be in the sort of nine to five you know, not that not that you're working crazy overtime now or anything, but like you said, it's just kind of this cloud hanging over you. Of, I got to deal with things 
at a moment's notice. Whereas I feel like, uh, yeah, when you're doing projects and handing them off to clients, hopefully you're not on the hook for that nearly as much. Hopefully. We'll find out. You can go camping in the woods for a weekend with no cell service and not have to worry about it. So that was the interesting thing. Like, uh, you know, like you've been, you've been at, uh, you, you just went on vacation. Like, I don't think I've had like a real, real vacation in four years. That's what I was telling you, man. This is your opportunity. And as I was saying that, uh, last time I said that to you, like Paul was like, oh, I'm going to go on vacation for a week. And I was like, what? And then, you know, uh, uh, when, when I first started talking to the recruiter, uh, Shannon, shout out to Shannon. She was awesome. By the way, she did. She was a great recruiter. She was like, oh yeah, you know, we got all the information. You're in the system. We're going to set up an interview. Uh, you know, it's 4th of July. So I'm taking a few extra days off. So I'll, 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 you know, I'll talk to you in a week. And I was like, talk to me in a week. That's an eternity. What are you talking about? I can fit, I can fit like four interviews in a week, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's a me problem. It probably is a me problem, to be honest. But That's all you, man. You could have done that. But uh, it never felt like it because there's always, Slack is always pinging. Slack is always cracking, you know? So, But uh, I guess to bring it back around, I'm glad your, okay, your, your vacation went well. <laughs> that was all just an excuse to a segue. talk about my vacation. Segway champion. Looking forward to the next one. I could use one after this week. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. You guys, you you got a lot going on. So you could come to Santa Rosa and you can hang out with me in the in the fires. <laughs> I'll take a pass this time. I do actually want to come out there though. See if any of my old Santa Rosa peeps are hanging around. If their houses haven't burned down. Yeah, I don't mean to make too much light of it, but yeah, thankfully things are pretty okay over here so far. Well, stay safe out there, Sean. We'll definitely try. Um, but yeah, like if anyone has any feedback of anything we talked about today, um, JavaScript, Rails, TypeScript, space repetition. We didn't even talk about how Notion finally has an account switcher. I'd like to talk about that with anybody that wants we to hear did. it. I need to tell everybody because that was my number one requested feature. It's amazing. Why do you have multiple Notion accounts? Because under an account, you have multiple workspaces. Email, different email addresses. I guess. My DK email address, my personal email address, and my MetaLab email address now. So I have three. Uh, but yeah, if you want to uh, give us feedback or talk about those things, uh, you should listen to Rockwell because he's about to tell you how you can do that. Hold on. Let me refer to these show notes that have conveniently not been deleted yet. You can tweet us on Twitter at DNCCast, Sean, Sean Wash, Bot, and I am Shrockwell. Uh, everything we mentioned today uh, will be in the show notes. So if you're looking for the show notes, uh, they will be in your podcast player of choice. Or if you're watching the stream, you can head over to dnc.show and the show notes will be available there when the show is published. Uh, we also have a show notes command in the chat. So if you type bang show notes, we we keep each show note as a editable notion or a commentable notion document for anybody. So anyone can get access to them and see the show notes live in real time. Uh, but again, if you're looking for them after the fact, they'll be available at dnc.show. We're also streaming every week on Twitch TV. You may have heard us mention real-time follow-up and friends of the show in the chat. You can join the friends and be a friend. Well, I'll be friends. Twitch.tv slash dnccast, 6 Pacific, 9 Eastern, Thursday nights, every week. Be there or be square. And uh, on Saturday mornings, I've been doing a code stream, uh, usually around 10 o'clock Pacific, 
this last Saturday, I worked on a Laravel side of an API for a trash cleanup and catalog app that I'm working on. So um, pretty soon we'll be getting into some React, uh, some PWA stuff for that as well. Um, but like I said, that's typically happening on Saturday mornings at 10 p.m. or 10 a.m. Pacific. And uh, last but not least, I guess, thanks to Respect for having us and putting us out there and supporting us. Uh, and if you're into other design and development related shows, you should head over to spec.fm and check them out. Well, if all, all goes well, all is willing, uh, I'll be able to, you know, be talking to you uh, next week, Rockwell. And uh, if I have to evacuate, I'll let you know. Maybe we can do a, a stream, an on-remote stream somewhere. Well, good luck. Don't work too hard. All right. Thanks. <laughs>